Thank you for joining us today at Revolution 22. We are a church in downtown Boise, Idaho. As we learn from God's word in the book of John, we pray that his word would be received and would bear fruit in your life. out of uh, John 13 this morning, uh, verses 18 and following. It says, uh, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one I sent, who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testifies, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaned, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then, after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What are you going to do? What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas, Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, Buy what he needs for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. I think you guys can be seated. Before we get into um, the sermon and before we pray for the scripture that we were just reading, I wanted to kind of pause and pray for uh, the almost 60 women that are up north that are finishing up, I think, like right now, and some of them are starting to make their way back down to Boise. So I wanted to just real quickly pray for that, and then we will jump into the sermon as well. God, thank you so much for... Um, in a time where it's so easy to be disconnected and distant, um, you allowed us to, to move forward in this small way with these women up north at the women's retreat together. God, thank you for the, the word that you brought through Sharon and all the work that you've done in her heart to share that, God. Um, I pray for the relationships that were started up there that um, began or that went deeper. I pray that they would just continue to go, that it wouldn't be just a weekend fleeting thought, but instead would be something that transforms our community down here. God, for the work that you're doing in the women's hearts up there, I pray that this work would bring back in them a, um, a joy to, to stay surrendered to you and everything, to, to see it change the way that, that their marriages are and their kids' uh, relationship or their, their dating relationship or the way that they go about work or school. God, I pray that you would just do a mighty work there. Um, I praise you for... Um, I praise you for the, the work that you've done. I praise you for keeping them safe so far, and I pray that you would please bring them back all safely. Um, and Lord, we look forward to seeing how Rev as a body will be different because of what you've done in the hearts of these women up there. Um, I'm always so excited to see um, what can happen when we, when we set aside time in our life, set aside ourselves, and, and, and pursue community and pursue you. It's incredible what you can do with those hearts in that way, Lord. 
And so I pray that, that uh, much is accomplished through our body, that they're all brought back safely, and that um, we would look back a year from now and be amazed at what you began or you continued or you brought to fruition through these women um, seeking you out and leading in the way that they're leading. We thank you for this. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Um, God, thank you for the chance to teach. Uh, today's scripture is one that is honestly kind of a downer. I mean, if you're honest, like, like, I mean, how many of you have a friend named Judas? Yeah, it's not a common name, is it, right? Like, it's kind of something that most people want to stay away from. I don't know if you've ever, have you ever noticed how there are things that um, are really cute in a kid, but then when they're older, they're not so cute? Has anyone ever seen that? So I'll, I'll use one of my kids as an example since they're unfortunately tied to me. But um, Priscilla is my youngest daughter, and she's just absolutely beautiful. And we, we um, when it came to eating, we just kind of, I guess we just gave up on teaching manners when it came to eating for that. And so I have this picture every now and then where I, I feel like I'm transformed because she's just a beautiful, her soul, she's just a wonderful girl. But I have this picture of her being like on her first date, which is like 25, because that's when she'll be allowed to date. And, um, and she's out there, and she's just this beautiful girl, loves the Lord, just awesome. And she's talking to this guy, and this guy's like, man, she's amazing. And she's like, so yeah, I know about You know, it's like, whoa, what happened? Like, it's not as cute. But right now, when she's got peanut butter all over in her hair, it's, it's really cute. It's also funny, like, I, my son, it, another thing that's really, really cute is that he loves to pretend to be something. He wants to pretend to be Spider-Man or pretend to be these things. And, and he, he loves it. It's always adorable when he's, like, trying to fight me as Spider-Man because in his mind, even though he's pretending to be Spider-Man, he really is Spider-Man. That's not as cute if I come up to him and be like, I'm Spider-Man, and I start wrestling. Does it, like, doesn't that seem a little weird? <laughs> It's funny how we grow out of those things. I, I bring that up because realistically in this text, there's a million great things that we can do, but John seemingly comes to this point, writing this years after um, the events that happened as an eyewitness. He comes in and he really makes it a point to tell us and show us specifically the life of Judas. And what I think is important is, is we read this text, like, okay, this is, this is great, but I think it's important for us to remember a few things. One scholar says it this way. From the very beginning, Jesus knew what Judas would do. We see that in John 6, 64. But he did not compel him to do it. Judas was exposed to the same spiritual privileges as the other disciples, yet they did him no good. The same sun that melts the ice only hardens the clay. In spite of all that our Lord said about money and all of his warnings about covetousness, Judas continued to be a thief and steal from the treasury. In spite of all the Lord's warnings about unbelief, Judas persisted in his rejection. Jesus even washed Judas' feet, yet his hard heart did not yield. And I think uh, there's, there's a number of things that we can see. We can see God's sovereignty working in this and the timing and all that stuff, and we've talked about that in the past. But, but, but I think what, we, what would be worth us kind of pausing on is we see this, this pretty big warning. And so I'll give you guys the warning, and, and this is it. It's just don't be like Judas. Okay, God bless you guys. Have a great day. Like, right? Like, that, that is common. Every one of you walked in going, I hope I'm like Judas. No one's ever said that. No one's ever thought that if you spent any time around the church, you're not going, man, I, I can't wait to be like him. Yet, I think because of our position in history, because we have these gospels written for us, and because we've had many people talk about the order of names and the last on the name, last is usually the least important, because of all of those things, we just come into this going, oh yeah, Judas is the one who betrays Jesus. Everyone knows that. Judas is the one that, 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 that gets everyone, like everyone knows he's, he's, he's rotten, he's the one that betrays, it's the, the whole plan that God has for redemption is, is brought about by him betraying Jesus. And we just go there and go, okay, that's it, except for what we don't recognize 
or don't realize or don't remember is that Judas is a really good pretender. He's pretending better than than anyone. Let me just remind you of the scene. So this is a this is the Passover meal. We believe, like most scholars believe that this is the Passover meal. There's a couple little variances in timing. We talked about those a couple weeks ago, but but ultimately this is the Passover meal. This is the last six days of Jesus's life. Is what the last nine chapters of the Gospel of John are. And we just had seen him get down from his table or at the table and get up and wash the feet of all of them, including Judas. And now. The table, again, it's, it's a low table. Think like coffee table height. And there would have been pillows around the table and they would have been leaning on their arm or leaning up this way and then would eat this way with their feet going out that way. And it's a U-shaped table. And at the very center of the U is the place of prominence. This is the, the leader or the host. This is where they are. And Jesus is set there. And from this text and what we're reading, it seems like John, the, John, the one that wrote this, the Apostle John, is, is, is sitting right here because this is also where we get that he leaned into the bosom of Jesus, the one who sat in his bosom. Because think about it this way, when they're laying this way, the person of prominence would always be a little bit further up. So, so John would be a little bit further back. So if John were to turn over to talk to Jesus, he's right in his bosom. And this is where he's, this is where he's at. And this meal's happening. It's very specific. And they've been celebrating the Passover meal for years on years. And they, they're celebrating the, the freedom that was brought through Egypt, all that God had done to free the people of God from Egypt's oppression and the Pharaoh. And every year they're doing this over and over again. And everything has a specific purpose and every bitter herb and everything is kind of pointing back to the Passover, all the way going to the sacrificial lamb, pointing out the blood on the doorpost that the, the God's spirit passes over the Jewish children. And this is the setting they're in. I think it's also important for us to remember, this is about three and a half years in. Three and a half years. Jesus has been walking with these 12 dudes for three and a half years. Three and a half years, you know how he takes his coffee. You know how he smells. You know the things that drive you nuts about it. If you've ever spent three and a half years with anyone that much time, you're going to figure out how to really drive each other's nuts. You're going to know it. You're going to know the buttons to push. They know each other so well. In fact, I would argue that the 12 of these disciples, because of just the three and a half years time, I don't think many of us have experienced a community like that in the church today. They know each other. They know their idiosyncrasies. They know their frustrations. They know their loves. They've had countless hours of of talking. These these individuals have spent so much time around each other. And what what I think we have to remember is that when Jesus utters out, one of you will betray me, Matthew chapter 26 tells us that each one of the disciples ask, is it me? To us, we're like, oh, it's Judas. He's he's last on the list. he's, he's, He's the betrayer. We know this. Like, to them, they had no idea it was Judas. Now, now let that sink in for a second. I'm pretty convinced that if I tried to convince you that I was Spider-Man, none of you would believe me. But not a single one of those men had any idea that Judas was the one. So much so that they were willing to ask Jesus if it was themselves. Is it, is it me? Am I the one that does this? Let that sink in for a second. Because I think too often we want it to go, okay, cool, Judas got it figured out. Everyone knows what's going to happen. Even John writing here, he keeps very clearly, tells us who Judas is. Every time his name is brought up from John 6 to here and, and down the road in 17 as well. But while John was walking with him, Judas was one of them. 
Jesus says, right after coming out of this, he says, those who do my will, we talked about this last week, do just as I have done, is what he says. Those who do my will are my chosen. And he says, I chose all of you, but one of you does not do my will. Every single one of you play a role here. He says, he who ate, but the scriptures will, uh, so the scriptures will be fulfilled. Verse, uh, verse 18, he says, he who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. What is he doing here? He's quoting scripture. Now, now this is important. Just a side note. Every time Jesus is struggling, and you got to see this because he's very quickly after, he's like, he's saying, I'm deeply troubled. Like, listen to me, I'm deeply troubled. Every time Jesus is troubled, what do you see him do? You see him quote scripture. And the temptation, what does he do? He goes back to scripture. Just as, as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that's something that should like put up a little ding in our head. Hey, we're struggling. Maybe I should go to scripture. He goes to scripture and he says, and he quotes Psalm 41, 9. It's a, it's a psalm that David wrote. It's, it's kind of a, a he's, he's, he's upset about being, he's, he's deep, dark, if you've ever read any of the psalms of David. Like he's like really wrestling here. And one scholar says it this way. He says, um, this psalm described to David is a part of a plaintive lament called forth by the painful experience of being mocked by enemies when already suffering, debilitating, debilitating and life-threatening illness. So this is a, this is a psalm that Jesus is, is quoting, saying, look, my, my friends, my friends have lifted their heels up from me. They've, they've, turned, they've, they've turned their heels to me. They've lifted his heel against me. What does this mean? Um, it literally means in Hebrew kind of made his heel against, great against me. The, the translation for us is, is most likely great fall. Someone has given me a great fall or taken cruel advantage of me or has walked out on me. To lift up the heel in this culture, um, like we're displaying the bo- bottom of the foot to anyone who's regarded as a breach of honor, this is, this is like the worst of things. And he's saying, look, my, the one who ate my bread. Now, now for us, we're like, oh, you ate bread. Was it gluten-free or was it sourdough? Or what, like, what kind of bread was it? No, to, to say who ate my bread is to, to partake of a meal. To partake of a meal in this setting, to do this. You only do this with devoted family, f- close friends. Like you don't just do this with random strangers. This is what he's saying. So he's saying, look, someone who is deeply invested in me, someone who is deeply connected to me has lifted their heel against me. And he goes on and says, after saying these things, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now, now think about the record-scratching stop that would have done to this Passover meal. These, these, these guys have been through everything together. They've experienced great, great animosity, incredible trouble. Like they've gone on the roads forever and slept not in a, a comfy Marriott. They're like, they're like having to deal with so much turmoil and so much frustration. And yet Jesus says, one of you will betray me. Now, I believe that the disciples, although they missed so many things that Jesus said, including that he was going to be crucified, they, like that went over the head all the times he said it. But I also believe that when he spoke, they were like, he's saying something very important and he's telling the truth. I don't think they ever doubted him in that way. Or maybe when they did, it was less than. So when Jesus says, one of you betray me, I think it causes each one of them to go, is it me? If they doubted him, they would have probably been like, oh, whatever, Jesus, you're just being dramatic. You're just trying to make a scene here. Like, No, they, they believed that this would happen. And so that brought them to questioning themselves. Is it me? And so in this setting, Jesus has just gotten down and served them, which is astronomical. And like we talked about last week, like completely out of place and would have, would have rocked every single one of their minds. And then he comes from that to this. 
And then he says, one of you betray me. And they're like, Peter, now this is important for us to understand, Peter isn't in the place of honor where John is, because John is obviously there. Peter is, is close enough to John where he's like, yo, ask him who it is, right? Like that's the, that's the conversation that happens between Peter and John where the other 12 and Jesus are apparently not aware of it. Well, Jesus is aware of it, but the other ones aren't aware of it, right? And so Peter asked John because John is close enough in proximity. And that's where I said John would lay over and kind of be in Jesus' bosom and says, well, who is it? Who is it? Who will it be? And then Jesus says, the one whom I dip my bread in and give it to is this person. You know what that most likely indicates? Guess who was sitting in the other place of honor next to Jesus? Judas. Judas was sitting right next to him. Because for Jesus to have put his hand, dip in something and give it, he would have been like, have to get up, excuse me, walk over. And it would have been a little interesting to do it over there. But at a dinner meal, in a place of honor to do this, this was a common thing. Go read Ruth 2. You'll see that this is a beautiful thing to do, to, to dip and to feed someone and do it this way. That's a, that's a devotion thing to do. It's a place of honor. So the disciples see Jesus doing this with Judas, even if they're not in the, you know, they're talking about the fantasy league or whatever else they're talking about, right? And they're doing, they're doing that, like, they're doing their stuff. They see Jesus do this. It doesn't raise any alarms because it's like, yeah, here's a person seated at a place of honor. Jesus is honoring him and devoting to him in this way. Now, I wish we had the conversation, like I wish we would have gotten a little bit of what went through John's head in this moment. When Jesus does this, hands it to, to Judas, Judas says, it says at that moment, Satan entered him. Now, there's a lot of conjecture and thought on this process of what did he physically enter him? Was he influencing him? How was this process in this thing? One thing that we can know for sure, staying outside of that, is what Jesus does to Judas is a continual press into him. He continually goes to him. He, he washes his feet. His heart is hardened. Him giving him bread is another step of, hey, I, I'm, I'm coming to you. And Jesus, no, I will not receive this. He had already sold him out. In fact, you want to know when he sold him out? When he was so mad that Mary was loving Jesus so well and wasting so much money, he went and sold him for 20 pieces of silver. Immediately after that is when he had already done it. So this has already taken place. He's already hardened his heart in this way. He's done. And so here he is, he's doing this, and then he gets up and says, do what you came to do, and he leaves. And everyone at the table is like, well, maybe he's going to get, maybe he's the treasurer, so maybe he's going to go get some other food for the feast, or he's going to go give to the poor, which is common on the Passover. Like, no one assumed, like, oh, it's Judas, he's the one that betrayed, he's leaving. But here's John, sitting right next to Jesus. Does he tell Peter? Does he, I don't think he does, because I feel like Peter would have made a scene in that moment. <laughs> is John just, like, trying to think through, like, what, how did I miss this? What does that even mean? Is he doing it right now? And we don't get any of that thought process, but here they are. Sitting in this spot at dinner, all of a sudden Judas is gone, and then the rest of the discourse, which was really beautiful in the upper room that we get in John, we get like the next four chapters, happen with Judas gone. And so here, this is how this scene plays out. And so what I wanted to do today is I wanted to talk a little bit about how we cannot be Judas. Because I think that's kind of what this is for, for us to do. This is kind of important for us to see. See, I think what we have to remember is that Jesus is not fooled by Judas. Hear me on that. Jesus was not in any way fooled by Judas. He didn't, he didn't wonder if it was going to happen long before it ever happened. He said, by the way, and he even says it in the context here and in chapter 6 and in chapter 17, for I chose knowing what would happen. So he's not fooled. But, Everyone else's. And that got me to thinking, like, what, well, how, how were they fooled? How were these men that were 
so close to Jesus and so close to each other, how were they, how were they fooled by Judas? How, did he never display anything? Did he just not show any of it? Were they just completely ignorant and ignoring it? Was there, like, were they refusing to see what, that which was there? Because I think all of those things could be possible. But, but I want to really clearly talk about something because I think what the problem is is with the church today, I wouldn't say we have a bunch of Judases, but I do believe we have a bunch of people pretending. And we're, we're literally trying to fool people that we're Spider-Man, and God is not fooled. You may pretend, you're, you may pretend and, and fool your spouse. You may fool your kids. You may fool the community around you for decades. But God is never fooled. Us pretending anything is like my son pretending he's Spider-Man and fully believing it. God can see right through that. But just because you can fool everyone, should we? And so let me talk about how we know that it's not what's not enough here. See, because I think many of us think pridefully that this would never be us. In fact, let me tell you how I know that. Peter was convinced it wasn't him, and so much so that he argued with Jesus just a few verses later. I'll never deny you. Yeah, 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 you will. Three times. He calls a curse upon himself on the third time. That's literally saying, if what I'm saying isn't true then let the consequence and the weight of that sin be put on me. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm taking that sin on the cross. You don't get that, Peter. Peter was convinced he wouldn't do it. See, so it got me thinking about like, what, why didn't it work for Judas? And how could we today be careful to not be pretending on this thing? And so the first thing I, I realized is that um, Jesus' teachings are not enough. It's, it's not enough to just know his teachings. Now hear me on this, because the Pharisees had almost the entirety, or many of them had the entirety of the Old Testament memorized, and it was not enough. And I can tell you right now, I bet Judas could have almost done some of Jesus' sermons over and over again, because what we get in, the, in this text is him telling these things, but he's always teaching for moving and moving and moving. So I guarantee there were conversations that happened multiple times. And so Judas could be like, oh yeah, I've heard this one before. And Judas probably could have been like, oh, let me tell you about the parable of this one. Let me tell you about the parable of the rich and the lure. He knew all of them because he knew Jesus' teachings. He spent all the time with him. And it wasn't enough to just know his teachings. In fact, the Pharisees are arguing with Jesus about where he came from in John 8. And Jesus said he came from his father. And they said to him, therefore, where is your father? And Jesus answered them, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. This is what he's saying. If you know me, you would have known God. And so all the knowledge you have in here is not enough because to know me is to know God. You may know everything there is to know about this, but it wasn't enough for Judas. So it's not a matter of right thinking is enough to be in Jesus' inner circle. It's also... It's also not enough to be close to him or to be in proximity of him. Again, I think the, the saddest thing to me of, of almost all of this is that he spent time with Jesus. Not like the way that you and I say we spend time with Jesus. He like, like fist bumped, like physically in the room <laughs> with Jesus. And I'm not to belittle the time we spend with Jesus. We are with Jesus. He is with us. That's not in any way my naysaying that. But what I'm saying is that he was in the closest of proximity you could have ever been 
for over three years, and it wasn't enough. See, the way that this translates to us today is our involvement in church. It's not enough to just be in a church. It's not enough to check those boxes. Oh, cool, I'm in a small group, or I'm, 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 I show up every week. It's, it's not enough to just be in close proximity. You don't get to be in close proximity because you're like, well, I was an Awana champ, and I have all the badges, and I was raised in the church. That doesn't matter in the, in the context of it. It's not enough. That's good. That's valuable, but that's not it. It can't stop there. Because if it was enough, Judas would have been in with flying colors. It's not enough to just know his teachings. And it's not enough to just be close to him. It's not enough to even do things for him or with him. And this is an important one because, and I was, I was amazed by this when I was studying. I went back to it, and, and I don't know why you lose sight of these things, but I think it's because we read so often into the text what we think. And it's like, Judas obviously is a, is a hot mess from day one. No, Matthew 10.1. Matthew 10.1 says this, look, and the 12, he called us, he called to him his 12 disciples, just in case you're wondering, one of those 12 is Judas, and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And then you go further down in chapter, in verse 17, the 72 come back, like, even the demons flee from you. And Jesus is like, don't celebrate just that they flee from you, celebrate that your name be written in the book of life. Judas was casting out demons in Jesus' name. He was walking up to someone who was lame and touching him in the name of Jesus and watching him stand and walk. He was seeing a woman with, with blind eyes and touching their eyes and she was walking away saying, now I see. Judas was doing all of that. Jesus was doing all of that through Judas and it wasn't enough. Jesus says, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, did I not fill in the blank? Did I not tithe? Did I not serve? Did I not attend my gospel community? Did I not do all these things for you? And you say, away from me, depart from me. I never knew you. It's not enough to just do things with or for Jesus. Because if it were, Judas is locked. He's in. So it's not enough to know his teachings. And it's not enough to be in close proximity to him or to be close to him. And it's not enough to do a bunch of things for him, then, then what is enough? What is enough? What, what do we do to not be the one that betrays Jesus like Judas? How do we, how do we get beyond this pretending? And John, Jesus tells us in John 14, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's not that Judas did everything wrong and the disciple the other 11 did everything right in fact i think it's important to remember all of them abandoned jesus at this moment they all ran not just peter not just judas they all ran they all failed jesus miserably so it's not a matter of of doing things right it's a matter of being surrendered to him romans 10 9 defines it this way it says if you confess or acknowledge with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, that means king, supreme controller of your life, and believe in your heart, all of who you are, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, hear me on this, please. If you're pretending right now, the only way you get out of pretending is by acknowledging just who you are apart from him. No amount of, of classy pretending will get you there. 
It takes a complete, blatant disregard for of self to say, I must die to myself so that he can be in me. So it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, like Paul says. Judas couldn't get there. And what concerns me about that is many of you in this room right now think that there's just a series of perfect scenarios in your mind that will get you to that spot. And I, I, I mean, aside from the hostility that Judas experienced, because I don't think we do that as well, we're seeing that kind of struggle in the church right now. Like he had it about as good as it can get. I mean, being in the presence of the teacher, being in the presence of Jesus, like experiencing it and seeing it over and over again, and it still wasn't enough. Will you stop pretending? I think it's good to remember again that all the disciples desert Jesus. It's not a matter of, of making a mistake, but a continual ignoring the heart of what Jesus is after. See, I think it's important. Some of you right now, you're, you're feeling convicted, hopefully by the Spirit, not my, my <laughs> delivery of it. But you're feeling convicted because you're like, I am kind of a pretender in this, in this area. I'm pretending in my finances. I'm pretending in my, and you're just, you just fill in the blank. You're just glad that another Christian doesn't ask you about this one thing because then you feel like you'd have to lie to them. And you're saying all these things like, oh, I'm totally messing up here. And, and if the Lord is, is convicting you and he's pushing on you, then don't squirm out. Let him do so. Because there's, there's no better God to do so. Because why? In, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 through 8, it says this, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption. What? Through Jesus' blood. The forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace, which is lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So no matter how ugly or hard. We're going to talk about Peter's life. It gets back into the end. It's really beautiful. No matter how bad your denial of Jesus is in your actions, in your words, in your, in your everyday life, no matter how much you're pretending, his grace can still be lavished upon you. Stop pretending. It's getting you nowhere. In fact, dare I say, the worst thing you can do is get really good at pretending around the people around you because then you can really, really just kind of keep skating by without ever dealing with the heart of what God wants to deal with, like Judas did. So how are you living your life? Are you in close proximity to Jesus? Are you hearing his teachings but not doing them? Are you surrendered to him? This is one of those texts that really shows the validity of what Jesus just said about those who hear his word and do my teachings are my own. I think it's important to, to talk about this too. Um, I, I think there's something to be said here for us, specifically today, about the people that are around you. Do you because again, I, I like to think that, that at least, I'm, I mean, maybe Peter, maybe John or James, like with Sons of Thunder, I'd like to think they saw things in Judas every now and then. Like, I really do, like, they, like, oh, that was kind of harsh. Like, the way you were yelling at that person or the way you were so stickler with that money or you seemed so kind of cold. Like, I'd like to think they saw something. Maybe they didn't. But they were just believing the best in him or whatever it was or they didn't feel comfortable to have the conversation or they felt like pretending was easier or they were just kind of dealing with all the stuff of Jesus in themselves. But either way, like, who's the people around you? Do you have someone around you that can come to you and say, hey, hey, I, I kind of think you're, you're, you're faking it here. Do you have someone that can ask you, like, hey, the way you spoke to your spouse there, like, like what's going on here? Where you can receive that without lashing back out, well, I've seen the way you spoke to your spouse. Like, do you have those people around you 
Because if you don't, you're in trouble. One of the, the best ways that I think God helps us from ourselves and pretending is having people close enough proximity to us that we can't fake them out. So do you have those people in your life that can come and say, hey, hey, Brian, I think, I think you're a little harsh there. Or I think you're doing this. And that you would be willing to sit under it and receive that. And go, I don't like to hear that. It hurts my pride and it makes me feel like I'm a failure. But at the end of the day, I'd much rather look like a failure to men and be sitting in the confidence of my Lord than a winner to men and completely isolated from God. See, that's, that's the silly thing about our pretending right now is that you believe in your minds, we believe, I believe in our minds, that somehow pretending keeps us in close proximity to these people all the while we're distancing ourselves from our God. What we're doing here is what Jesus said and the Apostle Paul said is that you actually value more of men than me. I think, I think it makes sense because sometimes, some of the things that we're pretending on right now, they have huge huge life ramifications, consequences. You lose your job, your marriage, your family, like all kinds of consequences. But I mean, are, are, you, are you really good with keeping those things under the context of them being fake? Even when God is fully aware of it? And do you believe, this is the next question, if you are his, do you believe that he's just going to lead you in that? It's okay, Brent. I know I said I'd finish your sanctification process, but I think I'm just going to leave you right here because you really like it. No, he's going he's gonna to complete the work that he began in us. It's, it's based on his, his commitment, not ours. So are you pretending? If you don't have people around you that can point you to truth in a sometimes <laughs> ill way, let me say it that way, like maybe someone like comes up and says, like, you're a total jerk. Wow, that sucked. That hurt to hear. But like, is there any truth to that? If you don't have people that you can have those kind of conversations with you, let me just tell you right now, you are setting yourselves up to be really pretending a lot of things. And the only one that you're not fooling is the one that you deeply desire to be with, and that's Jesus. So will you stop pretending? The second thing that on top of this pretending, I think is just a third thing. I don't even know what number I'm on at this point, sorry. I think it's important for us to see something out of this story too. Like, not only that we shouldn't be like Judas, like that we, should, we shouldn't pretend and that we shouldn't see that just these things guarantee things, but it takes an actual surrender of our heart to God. But I think it's important for us to see how Jesus treats Judas in spite of all that he does. This one, I think, is, this is one that, man, as a church, guys, we need to, to kind of hunker in and think about because we are missing this. See, Jesus doesn't come to Judas and be like, like, he doesn't do this thorough cleansing of John's feet because he's the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? And like, oh, this is great. And then come to Judas and be like, slap. Okay, good enough, moving on. No, he goes through the full process of cleaning all of his disciples' feet. Even his stepping with dripping the, dipping the, uh, the bread into the, into the bitter herbs or whatever he was dipping it in to give to Judas is an act of love, a devotion of one of friendship, one of pursuing that person. He continually taught Judas. He gave him a seat of prominence at his table. Jesus never stopped loving the man who would betray him, that would bring him, and hear this, it's important, he's like, oh yeah, he knew about it, but he says, truly, truly, I'm deeply troubled. Pay attention when your Messiah displays emotion. Deeply troubled. So what Judas was doing deeply affected our Messiah, our King, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the creator of all things. 
And yet, Jesus, fully aware that that feeling would come because of this man in this setting, still continued to pursue him and love him and teach him and care for him and walk with him and disciple him. All the while, he knew exactly what was and wasn't being heard in the heart of Judas. I think it's important for us to see that because I think many of us in here are unwilling to walk with a slightly difficult person let alone someone that's going to all out betray us and send us to a cross. If we, church, hear me on this. If we can't push into, and this is what I talked about last week, we can't push in and serve one another, even potentially people that we would see that are opposite of us or, or disagree with us on certain things. We literally take the very thing that the church can be so good at, which is evangelism, and pull it right off the table. If you are unwilling to sit with a brother who disagrees with you, how in the world are you going to be salt and light in a world that disagrees with you? Jesus loves Judas. Will you love people that don't know Jesus? Will you love people that think drastically different than you? Would you even love someone that has slightly hurt you, not betrayed you to death on a cross? Jesus loves him anyways. The Lord was not taken, this is what one scholar says, the Lord was not taken by surprise by this treachery. He knew his betrayer and declared it and did not turn aside from his path. For he knew also that the Father had given all things into his hands. Judas and the powers of evil could but contribute to the accomplishments of God's saving purpose for which Jesus was sent. Wherever you are, we're going we're gonna to take a, a step towards the, the Lord, which I think is, is a beautiful one in communion. The band's going to come up here and we'll sing in a second. But the, the communion is, is Jesus literally giving his body for us and his blood for us in a lot of ways. And maybe, maybe if just for a second, maybe if just for a second you could do me this favor, everyone in this church do this as a favor, I want you to ask yourselves, ask yourselves, genuinely ask yourselves, what am I pretending in? Ask it. All right, God, show me. What am I pretending? And whatever he shows you, whatever he says, and some of you right now, you have that thought right now and you're trying to bury it because you're afraid of what may come out of it. Don't bury it. Yes, life will get hard if it comes out, but I promise you, it loses its power when it's in the light. And the God that we serve is not a God of condemnation, but one of grace through Jesus Christ. So ask yourself, how am I pretending? And when you, when you come when you come to the table as, as, a, as a follower of Jesus, maybe just picture Jesus dipping the bread in, in the wine for you and handing it to you. This is his extension of, hey, my broken body, my spilled blood, these I have given for you, son, daughter. Don't keep running. You don't have to pretend I'm fully aware of what you believe, your battles, how you're struggling, and I still deeply love you. And that is displayed over and over and over again at the table. See, I think the enemy would love for you to be convicted of pretending and hide more. Jesus would love for you to know that he knows you're pretending and he couldn't love you more. He knows where you're faking it. He knows just how broken you are. And he said, I still went to the cross for that. 
And like the author of Hebrews tells us, he does not have to go again. It was completely done. So let's, let's not pretend, church. Let's stop trying to be Spider-Man and convincing people that it really is true. Let's stop trying to pretend that we are following Jesus and know that at our core, we are following Jesus in spite of all of our brokenness and our struggles and our battles and all of those things. And he is, he's at work in us. And his work will be completed because it's based on his promise, not mine or yours or anyone else's. And so when we come to the table, maybe it's a, a time for you to confess. You need to confess with someone that came with you. If you need help, we'll be back. We'll have people at the prayer room for you available to do so this week or, or on and on. But wherever you are, wherever you are, hear me on this, please. Wherever you are, the enemy wants you to tell you, wants you to believe that you are too far you're too far. You're just too far. You've pretended for too long. The consequences are too great. Don't go. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You are never too far from me. My grace has been lavished on you. That is more than enough. Would you come to the table knowing as a child of God that you are broken? You are Peter and James and Philip and all the other ones that made absolutely horrible mistakes and banding Jesus. But yet we're still commissioned for his purposes and for his glory and for his work. There is much to be done in you and through you, and it comes through you being exactly who you are and not pretending and letting Jesus take you to where you want to be. Look, the Apostle Paul, why do I do the things that I do not want to do? We have biblical example after example of people that struggle to do the very thing that we also badly desire. So let's stop pretending. Let's stop being like Judas. Let's be more like Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Even when it convicts us, thank you for it. Even when it's hard, thank you for it, God, for the ways in which our hearts are hardened. I pray that you'd soften them. And God, for the, for the, the many, many steps in our sanctification journey where you're making us more and more like Jesus, God, I, I can't help believe um, that it, it comes through breaking down the ways we're pretending to be followers of you. And so, God, as we think about those things breaking down, as we think about those walls that have protected us or the, the belief of men that we've enjoyed more than the, the, the word of you, um, God, I pray that you would just um, remind us that, like the Apostle John, we can rest in the bosom of Jesus in spite of all of that. We can show up fully broken and watch you bring redemption to every area of our life. And God, where, they, where the enemy is pressing on people right now, where they are trying to run from their conviction and they're, trying, they're moving into guilt or, or condemnation or shame. Um, and Father, I pray that you would just bind the enemy's hands in the name of Jesus. And that every single person would only see you and meet you in this space right now. And as they take steps towards you out of pretending, um, I pray that you would remind them that you already see them as they are, which is righteous and blameless before God because of what Jesus has done for us. We thank you for the ability to walk in your spirit and by your spirit and the strength to do the things that we know we want to do but continue to mess up in. And we thank you for your grace in that. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. Please visit revolution22.org to find out more information about our church. We remind you to continue to value community. We pray that God's word has drawn you closer to him and that you may continue to love God and love others. Thank you.